we come to the word this evening. Um, I wasn't quite sure where I was going to be sharing from at the beginning of the week. <coughs> Before we went away, I did some preparation. But then in the week, a conversation with Ian and due to different things, I'm going to be speaking again next Sunday evening. And so I just felt to go a certain way and what I've got to share tonight, which is typical with me, I can never keep it to one sermon, will be shared a little bit over a couple of times again ahead. But during the week, I, I was just spending some time um, thinking about the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they've combined together or have written something which has been left for each succeeding generation with a record of their collection of all that they had either seen, witnessed themselves, or had heard about concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And each of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, have their own story to tell. And even though there might be some overlap in some of their accounts, they all tell it from their own viewpoint, as they heard it, or as they saw it, or as they heard about it. And scholars that, uh, we thank God for scholars, because I wouldn't be up here without the scholars helping me. Uh, scholars uh, have uh, highlighted that each of the gospel writers have written, and I add to that, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, something that is unique about Jesus in each of their accounts. So Matthew writes uh, in, in the context of the, the kingship of Christ. Mark writes concerning the servanthood of Christ. Luke records something of the humanity of Christ. And then John comes and brings something of the deity of Christ. When we look at each of these gospel writers, Matthew, we find he writes as a Jew, and he writes especially for the Jew. And especially when you come to the end of Matthew, Matthew 24, 25, where he's talking about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to understand those chapters there within the context of what it meant for the Jews. And as he writes for the Jews, he lets them know that the Messiah that they've been looking for, the promised Messiah, has come, who will one day occupy the throne of David. And yet, the Jewish people, they still reject the Lord Jesus Christ. I think I might have mentioned it once before, but when we moved from Hereford to Poole, um, Robert would have been something like about... Um, 11 years of age and uh, he went up into the the senior school there because they have a different school system there than we were used to in Hereford and it's different to what it is here as well they have a, a first school a middle school and then a senior school and um, in part of the process of going into the senior school he came home one day to say that as part of their uh, religious education they were going to be going to visit what was a very large synagogue in uh, Bournemouth. Uh, and so would he be able to go? And I said, yeah, you can go, but I'll tell you what we'll do. 
I'll come along as a parent helper and I'll come and see what goes on and everything else. And so we went to the synagogue and as we'd done the tour of the synagogue and everything else, we sat down in a little group with whoever it was responsible for that synagogue and we asked if there were any questions. And different questions were asked and all of a sudden, not my own son, I wish it hadn't been my own son, Robert, but somebody else from among the children said, as we've been going around the synagogue and as you've been talking, he said, I've noticed you've never mentioned Jesus. And I thought, wow, I hadn't picked up on that, not particularly. And this guy turned round and said these things, this word, these words. He said, Jesus doesn't mean anything to us. They'd missed the Messiah. They'd failed to recognize who Jesus was and is. And even just recently, within the last few weeks, I was reading something about the Jews and everything else. And the comment was made from a practicing Jew again, that we don't recognize Jesus. But then Mark, he writes to show us that Christ had come not to be, not to be served, but to serve. And Luke shows to us that although the Christ had come from God, he truly was a man. And he traces his Jesus lineage from Adam. And he uses the phrase son of man 25 times in his gospel. But then John, and this is my favorite gospel of them all, he shows to us that Jesus was truly God in human flesh. And he uses the phrase son of God nine times and only son three times. And of course, as we know, he records for us in his gospel the seven great I am statements that Jesus made about himself. And so as we go through these different gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, we'll discover that within them there are what we can call key verses within them. For example, Matthew 16. In Matthew's Gospel, I think this is a key verse, verses 13 to 16. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? In other words, who are the people all around here saying that I am? And so they began to give the answers of some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're Elijah, and they probably gave a longer list than what is recorded in the gospel for us. But then Jesus said, who do you say that I am? You that have been spending this time with me, this close communion with me. And Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And to me, those are key verses in the Gospel of Matthew. But then when we come to Mark's Gospel, I think that the key verses linking in with the theme of what Mark is all about are found in Mark chapter 10 and verses 43 and 45, where Jesus says to the disciples, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, 
but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And then when we come to Luke's gospel, to me the key verse perhaps found in Luke 19 and verse 10, it follows on from the narrative that we have when Jesus met with Zacchaeus and called him down from the sycamore tree. At the end of it there in verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man came. But then Jesus goes on to say why he came. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And then when we come to John's Gospel, well, you could highlight so many verses, as you could from the other Gospels. But especially with the theme of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, we could highlight so many verses from that Gospel. But I've chosen to go to the end in John chapter 20 and verse 31, because John sums up what his Gospel is all about. And he says, these are written. These things that I've recorded, these things that I've put down for you to read, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that he is the Son of God. So as I considered what I'm sharing today, I stopped to think about the four authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And two of them, Matthew and John, were what we would call disciples of Jesus. They were called at the commencement of the ministry years of Jesus to be with him, to follow him, and to share in all that he would do and with what he would go through. And Matthew's calling, and we'll turn to some scriptures here. I've not written them down because it gives you a chance if you want you to go to them. Matthew's calling is recorded in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9 and then again in Mark chapter 2 and verse 14. And in Matthew 9 verse 9 it reads, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And then Mark 2 and verse 14. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. You notice now that Mark gives us an alternative name for Matthew. He calls him Levi. Now, if you go back to Matthew's Gospel... You will notice, because we've read there from Matthew chapter 9, that Matthew was called after Jesus' ministry had commenced. It is called, is called to follow Jesus post, after the, the, the Sermon on the Mount. So he would have to have collected some of the early chapters of his record from others that would have heard what Jesus had to say. And then we find that John was called as Jesus began his ministry. Going back to Matthew again, but this time to an earlier chapter, chapter 4, verse 21. And it says there, and going on from there, 
he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Mark records it in Mark 1 and verse 19. And going on a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. I don't know why, whenever I read about uh, Zebedee I think of the magic roundabout. But despite the time gap between their being called to follow Jesus, they were both, that is Matthew and John, they were appointed at exactly the same time, along with the other ten disciples, to be apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we read this in Mark chapter 3 and 13 to 19. And it says there, and he, that is Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and of authority to cast out demons. And he appointed the twelve, Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, um, that is sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And so they were called together to become the twelve, the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now just as a little side note, if you go to, to Luke's record of Jesus calling the twelve and appointing them, Mark misses something out, but Luke says that when Jesus went up to the mountain, it says that he's pray, he spent the night in prayer. And I think there's something valuable in that. There's an important lesson in that. That when Jesus came to appoint these 12, he didn't appoint 12 men willy-nilly. He spent time in the presence of his Father. He sought the will of his Father. And he didn't, as it were, directly choose the twelve exactly himself, but he chose the twelve that I believe that God revealed to him out of those that were there. These are the ones, and these are the ones you are to appoint as apostles. There's something important there with church leadership today. We should never choose favourites. We should always choose those who we believe that God's hand is upon. The men and women who God has appointed to be those to be faithful in the service 
of the work of the Lord. But there's something else as well because you'll notice that when Luke records the recollection of the calling of the twelve, it's in Luke chapter 6. And in Luke's account of the gospel, following on from that, when they've all been called, that he begins to share something of what Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount. So we've got to ask, is there a contradiction in the chronological events? I think not. What I believe that Luke is doing, although he hasn't given the full account as Matthew gives in his Gospel, we find that after they've been called, Luke is just recalling something. He's recalling it. Something that's already happened and bringing it into his Gospel. But then when we think about the other two, Mark and Luke, they weren't disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. But concerning Mark, you don't have to turn to it. He's only mentioned elsewhere once in the whole of Scripture, and in Acts chapter 12 and verse 12. And there in that chapter, he's known as John Mark. But it's possible that he could have witnessed something of the life and the ministry of Jesus. There is another Mark mentioned in Colossians 4 verse 10, but it's a different Mark to the Mark that wrote the Gospel. But then when it comes to Luke, we find that when it comes to writing his Gospel, he tells us the background to the writing of his account in the opening verses. And he says there in Luke 1, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, they have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So Luke may have witnessed some things. He certainly had heard so many things and he decided to write them down as an accurate record so that Theophilus could understand and have certainty concerning the things that he had been taught but also that we today could have certainty concerning the things that are found in his gospel and of course in the other gospels as well. And we know as I've been going through the book of Acts that Luke was the author of the book of Acts as well. He's mentioned in Paul's letter to Colossians in chapter 4 verse 14 and some scholars have suggested that Luke may actually have been Paul's personal doctor and travelled with him. But whatever the background of the authors, one who had been a despised taxman, one who had been a fisherman, one who was a physician, and one of whom we know very little. What we can say this evening is this, we gain so much understanding. To use Luke's words, a narrative, narratives, of the things that have been accomplished amongst them. We learn about Jesus 
in those four different aspects I mentioned at the beginning. We learn about who he was and is. We learn about why he came. We learn about how and why he suffered. And going back to those verses from John's record in John 20, 31, we know that these things are written so that we may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing we might have life in his name. Now, as I was thinking of these things again and considering these four Gospels, and thinking about the four different authors, I came to the conclusion that it is amazing that God has given to us a balance. Two disciples and two non-disciples. And together the two disciples and the two non-disciples clarify and confirm for us what the good news of the message of the gospel is all about. I've already quoted a key verse from each of the gospels and I want to close this evening by quoting another verse from each and in the future I will share something further on the various themes I mentioned at the beginning and with these different verses as well. For Matthew, I'm going back to Matthew 16 again this time verse 18. To me, it is interesting that while Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience, he inserts the wonderful truth that God was calling from both amongst the Jews who would believe and the Gentiles who would yet believe, men and women who would become the church, the body of Christ. And let's just read that verse. Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I think it's amazing that in this, this, this gospel that is predominantly to the Jewish audience, the Holy Spirit causes Matthew to say something about the church. Jesus had come to do a new thing. And that new thing was going to be the church, the body of Christ. And of course I had a little note there which we're not going to get into tonight. He hasn't finished with the Jew. He hasn't finished with the Jew. He still has plan and still has purpose for the Jew which will yet be realized and fulfilled in the days that are ahead. But then when we come to Mark's Gospel, I've chosen there from Mark 1, 14 to 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the Gospel of God. And Jesus was saying, the time is fulfilled, and the Kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, and believe in the gospel. See, right at the commencement of Mark's gospel, we get to hear what uh, of his, his gospel letter. We get to hear what it's all about. 
It's all about the gospel. Then Luke, we go there to Luke chapter 4. Verses 16 to 21. I've already mentioned the synagogue. And here we read, And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found a place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed, anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Wouldn't it be wonderful that if today, where the Jews are meeting, or on the Sabbath day I should say, which is their Saturday, when the Jews are meeting together in their synagogues in the United Kingdom, in America, back in Israel, wherever they are found as a company of Jews, that their eyes would suddenly be fixed upon Jesus. And we're glad that there are those of the Jewish community who are coming to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the promised Son of God. And they're coming and they're accepting him as Lord and Saviour and they're becoming a part of the church, the body of Christ. But we need to pray for the Jew. We need to pray for Israel. And we need to pray that many more will come to accept him as Saviour and Lord. I've often commented when we come on a Friday evening in particular, and if we come uh, to up through um, Bencham, and you see the young men with their hats on and you see the young girls and you see that they're all going somewhere where they're going to learn something from the Torah and they're committed to it they're dedicated to it and often I would say to Elaine how the church of the Lord Jesus Christ could learn from their example of dedication and commitment they go because they have a desire to know what the Torah and everything else has to say. And yet we've come to know the Messiah. We've come to know the living Son of God as our wonderful Lord and our wonderful Saviour. And as Norman mentioned earlier, we take so little advantage of the wonderful, great opportunity we have of coming into fellowship with one another and to be built up in the most holy faith. So in Luke's Gospel, we get to see what had been promised and prophesied was finally about to happen. I'm here, Jesus said. Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. And then, John's Gospel, well, we've got to go to John 1. John chapter 1 and verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full 
of grace and truth. And the Word, verse 1, and the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. To me, that's a wonderful statement. It's an amazing, incredible statement. God becomes a man. It's almost mind-boggling, but I believe it by faith. God becomes a man, and in doing so, has brought about the most wonderful and incredible reality. Sinners can become saints. The dead can be made alive. The lost can be found. The hopeless can receive hope. The unforgivable can be forgiven. And you and I can become the children of God. I tell you, the gospel is so wonderful. It's so amazing as it's transformed us as we come to read and believe. And so it's no wonder to me that Matthew, Mark, Luke and John wanted to put it all together in their gospel stories so that you and I, 2,000 years later, can read it, we can heed it, we can believe it, and we can receive it. Just one final thought. Mark 1.60 and Mark 2.13. Mark 1.16 says there, Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Of course, it goes on again. A little further on, he calls James and John. So, in those verses, down by the sea, we find Peter, Andrew, James, and John are called to follow Jesus. Then if we turn to Mark chapter 2, just the next chapter, verse 13. He went out again. This is speaking of Jesus. He went out again beside the sea. So he's down by the sea again. And what happens this time when he's down by the sea? It says all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he also said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, when I read those two portions of Scripture and the context to which it's contained, both times when he called Matthew, and Peter, Andrew, James and John, and when he called Levi, it says that he was down by the sea. And so I had a little bit of thinking to do. And my imagination began to whirl a little bit. And it would seem to indicate to me that Matthew's tax booth was down by the sea. Yet Jesus was going to call the despised taxed man to follow alongside the four fishermen that he had already called. And I began to think about that. Imagine the taxman, Levi, Matthew, sitting in his tax booth and he's watching the fishing boats coming in after their fishing trips 
and he's ready to pounce. As each boat began to dock, to go to look into their nets, to look at the catch that they'd got that night. And the brain inside his skull would have been whirring and whirring as he began to calculate the tax that he was going to charge them for the fish that they had hauled that night. And we know from the account of Zacchaeus that he would put a few extra percent on top of that as well. And God's got such a wonderful sense of humour. He would take the fishermen and he would take the taxman who he dis they despised and he would call them to be together and to work together for the sake of the gospel. And to me, is it not amazing that God still calls all sorts? Not licorice all sorts, but he still calls all sorts. Even those who may at one time have been enemies. Think of Saul of Tarsus. He'd been persecuting the church. He was despising those that were following in the way. And yet God called him and brought him to work with those in the way. And he saves all sorts by his grace. And he brings all sorts together by his grace to work together for the sake of the gospel. And that to me is one of the wonders of the kingdom of God. You could have a church full of people and in that church full of people, there could have been those like me who had an upbringing in the church and went to church virtually from the day they were born. But sitting in the same room, even sitting next to me, could be someone who had been the vilest of sinners and had committed the most horrendous of crimes and spent time in prison. And yet the grace of God saved them, transformed them, and together, me, the one who had been in the church of my life, the one who had spent time in prison, doing time, we both had become the children of God. And together he could use us for the furtherance of the gospel. Friends, let us never despise anybody that might come into the church. Don't despise them. I could say, however dirty they might look, however smelly they might look, however ragged they might look, despite what you might know about their past and what their present might even be, we must never despise them because God loves them with the same love that he's loved each one of us and he's able to save them and to transform them and to make them as we have become. In the song, I don't know whether it was this morning, no, I think it was tonight we've, wrote, we've sung it, to clothe them in the same garments of praise and the same robes of righteousness which he has fitted us with him. Oh, what a gospel. Oh, what a gospel. And I thank God that it's reached me and transformed my life. And my prayer is that it will yet transform the lives of many more as they come to realize who Jesus really is and what he came to do and provide. Amen.